remember last time in this uh, as we continue the uh, the study of the theology with St Paul <coughs> last time we focused mainly on the second person the holy trinity and the um, the work of the redemption today i'd like to uh, continue that reflection with you with the central place of the holy ghost and how this influence, this uh, presence that we all believed in, is central in the work of the redemption and now still active throughout the life of the church. Let us start with a little uh, quotation, as there will be several in this uh, talk, because Pope Benedict XVI made a series of excellent, really excellent conferences throughout these general audience about St. Paul, his teaching, and the, um, how St. Benedict XVI tried to bring to us with simple words what was St. Paul teaching across, across our faith. We therefore learn from St. Paul that the Spirit's action directs our life towards the great value of love, joy, communion, and hope. It is our task to experience this every day, complying with the inner prompting of the Spirit and helped in our discernment by the Apostles' enlightened guidance. We read everywhere in St. Paul's work about the Holy Ghost. With him, we cannot speak about the Father and the Son. Without with St. Paul, sorry, we cannot speak about the Father and the Son without mentioning about the Holy Ghost. In the same way, we cannot speak about human and the Church within St. Paul's teaching without mentioning the presence of the Holy Ghost. And that's the purpose of our lesson today, as an explanation about St. Paul's teaching would be rather incomplete without St. Paul's thoughts about the Holy Ghost. Central information, which I hope is not a discovery for you, the Holy Ghost is the third person of the Holy Trinity. We started this lesson with a quotation from the general audience of the 15th of November 2006 by Pope Benedict XVI. This sentence tells us about the great significance of the Holy Ghost within our own spiritual life. As we said before, St. Paul particularly stresses throughout his letters, the gift we received, the Holy Grace. When we say about all this, we must ask ourselves the following question. Was St. Paul aware of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Trinity? Was he aware that the Holy Ghost was truly one of the persons of the Holy Trinity? The, uh, the answer is obviously a yes, as St. Paul shares the common infallibility of the other apostles. The Holy Ghost didn't go through the process of incarnation like the Son. According to St. Paul and the Apostles, we feel the operation of the Holy Ghost by His actions in the souls of men, by His mysterious action on, Pent on Pentecost Day. Through this action, St. Paul caught the sight of the mystery of the third person of the Holy Trinity. St. Paul sees the light, the link behind prayer, the church, baptized people, 
all that making the three or and more things living, it is because of a living person and not an impersonal principle. The one who comes to our help, who speaks, prays and testifies we are God's children is a real person. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, it says in Ephesians. Who else than a real person could be saddened by our bad actions? St. Paul affirmed that the Holy Ghost is one of the three. Now there are diversities of graces, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operation, but the same God, who worketh all in all. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man unto profit. To one indeed by the Spirit is given the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith in the same Spirit. To another the grace of healing in one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discerning of spirits. To another diverse kinds of tongues. To another interpretation of speeches. But all these things, one and the same Spirit worketh, divining to everyone according as he will. In this excerpt of the first epistle to the Corinthians, St. Paul explains to us who is the origin of all gifts, the Holy Ghost, who is a real person. More than this, by presenting the person of the Holy Ghost, St. Paul unveils for us the reality of the divinity of the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost is the giver and the master of the divine gifts. But to us God hath revealed them by the Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, but the Spirit of a man that is in him? So the things also that are of God no man knoweth, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit that is of God, that we may know the things that are given us from God. The Spirit is in God, like at home, it belongs to God. When St. Paul speaks about this Holy Ghost, he speaks about a real person and the Divine One, different from the Father and the Son, but equal to them in their divinity and intimately bonded to them. The Father is the principle who decides all about creation and salvation in His perfect and eternal will. This will was perfectly accomplished and fulfilled by the Son, who took human flesh and offered the only sacrifice of the new covenant, being the new and only High Priest. The salvation is completed and concluded with the sending of the Holy Ghost. Each time a person is sent and a person is sending, and it is the same God. This sending is obvious with the mission of the Son, as he went through the Incarnation and became part of the history of the world. His humanity was real and seen. 
the same humanity that seized St. Paul. The personality of the Holy Ghost is not as obvious, but still is, thanks to the revelation of the Son, as they followed each other. Because Jesus revealed himself as a person, not only human, but divine, we are invited to acknowledge this, religion, this relationship of a father and a son. As the revelation is offered to us, an extension of the mystery of the Holy Trinity is given to us with a third relationship, a third person. St. Paul doesn't really much say much about the relationships between the three divine persons. He pays more attention to their divine missions and the salvation. But of course, he is truly aware of their existence as being divine and eternal. The Holy Ghost, sent from the Father, has a relationship with them because of that same mission. He is the Spirit of God and therefore of the Father. The Holy Ghost is also the Spirit of the Son. St. Paul doesn't say the Son is also sending the Holy Ghost, but we could imagine it. Because in the first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 15, St. Paul says about Jesus being a quickening spirit since the day of his resurrection. This means Jesus spreads the spirit. He's given the life of the spirit, which is in his own life. The Holy Ghost is related to the Son in his action as he served the mystery of Christ to be poured into man's heart. The action of the Holy Ghost allows Christ to be amongst all of us, uniting us as one single body. <coughs> if the Holy Ghost depends on Christ for his mission, it also means a dependency in the being, a dependency in the existence. The Son being eternal God as well as the Father, the Holy Ghost being directly involved in the mission of the grace and sent by the Father and the Son, is God. The mission of the three persons of the Holy Trinity testify about their relations. For by Him, Jesus Christ, we have access both in one Spirit to the Father. As He said in Ephesians, the three divine persons are involved in the same union, but without confusion, or the salvation of humanity. Even if St. Paul, Paul never teaches that the Holy Ghost is the soul of the Church, he says about him building the Church, carefully avoiding the trap of saying the Church is only a spiritual gathering. The gifts of the Holy Ghost makes this Church, and charity is the first bond which unites all members. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body, whereas they are many, yet are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews of Gen or Gentiles, whether bond or free. And in one spirit we have all been made to, dr to drink. St. Paul stresses the mission of the Holy Ghost as main builder of the mystical body of Christ, 
but also as leader of the spiritual life of each member of that same body. The Holy Ghost spreads the grace, spreads the grace of the cross and the redemption throughout the body. That's the reason why the seven gifts are also attributed to Christ, as we just read this week in the epistle taken from the book of Isaiah for the end of days. That was yesterday's reading. And that there shall come forth a rod out of the root of Jesse, and a flower shall rise up out of this root, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of fortitude, the Spirit of knowledge and of godliness. And he shall be filled with the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge according to the sight of his of the eyes, nor reprove according to the hearing of the ears. The Holy Ghost is making personal the life of Christ to each baptized person, member of the Holy Church. He delivers from evil and gives the real freedom. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And hope confundeth not, because the charity of God is poured forth in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. The Holy Ghost is the firm base upon which any life with God is built. The same Spirit which make us say, Abba, Father. For whosoever are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you are not received the spirit of bondage again in fear, but you have re received the spirit of adoption of sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself giveth testimony to our spirit that we are the sons of God. Over the fidelity to the Holy Ghost, St. Paul teaches us the need we have, as we've been baptized, to receive with faith the revelation of the love of God. And that's the work of the redemption. This revelation of the love of God for us, for human beings, is mainly done by the work of the redemption through the passion and resurrection of Christ but also for us to whom it shall be reputed, if we believe in him that raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead, who has delivered, us, who has delivered up for our sins and rose again from, for our justification. All along his writing, St. Paul teaches us about the salvation Jesus brought us, the blood of Christ's priest being poured out upon the cross to reconcile men and God. And here Benedict XVI says again, day after day in his new life, St. Paul experienced that salvation was grace, that everything derived from the death of Christ and not from his own merit, which moreover did not exist. The gospel of grace thus became for him the only way of understanding the cross, not only the criterion of his new existence, but also his response to those who questioned him. We are all submitted to the law of the sin, but him who knew no sin, who knew not no sin, 
He hath made sin for us, that we, may, that we might be made the justice of God in Him. This is how God reconciled humanity with Him, offered us His forgiveness, the redemption of our sins, our freedom from the slavery of the sin and Satan, our reconciliation with God, our justification. To make it short, God gave us His grace, the eternal life, the salvation through our act of faith. Following, <coughs> sorry. Following the songs and the suffering servant of Isaiah, we understand with St. Paul that redemption is not only the passion of the Lord, but any action of God towards men, to restore the lost friendship, making again man free in justice with God. This was accomplished with a perfect act of love and obedience from Christ. Christ has died for us, and this understanding of the redemption is making man entirely free. This salvation which is offered to the Christian people is transforming us. When we, unite, we truly unite us to Christ through obedience in the virtue of faith. It also brings us the real peace which St. Paul continuously preaches, speaking about the gospel of peace. This salvation is also, as we previously, previously said, an absolute and unmerited free gift from God to us, which makes the Apostle doing multiple, multiple acts and words of thanksgiving. How do we welcome that redemption? It's only through the act of faith and, of course, the sacraments. Faith is central with St. Paul. We will never cease to realize, to realize how faith is important within St. Paul's teaching. To help us to understand that, St. Paul multiplies antithesis between flesh and spirit, justice and sin, law and grace, freedom and slavery, death and life and many others. Every time, faith is the trigger which transforms what was evil in a way that pleases God. We are justified through faith. Of course, St. Paul doesn't forget about the sacraments, main channels of the grace, and mainly the baptism which is presented to us not only at the washing of our soul, but as death and resurrection, as said in this long excerpt of the Epistle to the Romans. For we that are dead to sin, how shall we live any long, longer the reign? Know you not that all we who are baptized in Christ Jesus are baptized in his death? For we are buried together with him by baptism into death, that as Christ is risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also may walk in newness, in newness of newness of life. Sorry. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin may be destroyed, to the 
to the end that we may serve we may serve sin no longer for he that is dead is justified from sin now if we be dead with Christ we believe that we shall live also together with Christ knowing that Christ rising again from the dead dieth now no more death shall no more have dominion over him for in that he died to sin, he died once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So do you also reckon that you are dead to sin, but alive unto God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body, so as to obey the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye you, your members as instruments of iniquities unto sin. But present yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of justice unto God. For sin shall, have, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under the grace. We are fully transformed by the grace, and the sacraments are not only a change in our life, but a conversion in the true meaning of these words which is turned towards God. What St. Paul says about baptism is also true for the other sacraments as Eucharist or holy orders. With the gift of the cup, the Lord gives us the true sacrifice. The, on, the one true sacrifice is the love of the Son. With the gift of this love, eternal love, the world enters into the new covenant. Celebrating the Eucharist means that Christ gives us himself, his love, to configure us to himself and thereby to create the new world. And here we cannot forget to mention about the sacrament of marriage, which St. Paul makes at the sign of the love of Christ for the church. Let women be subject to their husbands, as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, is the saviour of his body. Thereof, as the church is subject to Christ, so also let be the wives to be to their husbands in all things. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and delivered himself up to, for it, that he might sanctify it, cleansing it by the lava of the water in the words of life, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. <coughs> so also ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man hath ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, as also Christ doth the church. Because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and there shall be two in one flesh. That this is a great sacrament, but I speak in Christ and in the church. 
And of course, this beautiful quotation from the Ephesians that you probably <coughs> recognize being the epistle of the mass, of the wedding mass, is a perfect introduction <coughs> for to understand better Saint Paul's teaching about the church. Mystical body of Christ, people of God and new Israel gathering both Jews and Greeks, those who receive circumcision in their flesh and according to the Spirit, which is the baptism, all baptized people are united within the Holy Church, fed by the Holy Bread of the Eucharist, sorry, living from charity. In St. Paul's teaching, the nature itself of the Christian faith required the Holy Church. Finding an opposition between Christ and the Church in St. Paul's teaching would be a complete nonsense. It would be a negation of the nature of Christ or the Church. It would be a negation of the relationship between Christ and the Church, between the head and the body. This last image of the head and the body is quite developed in the epistles to the Romans, to the Corinthians, or the Galatians, and many others. A special mention to that, this last one, the Galatians, Galatians sorry, where St. Paul refuses any difference between Jews and Greeks in the New Covenant and teaches us the real and true unity of all Christians with Christ. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you the seed of Abraham. Hears according to the promise. We also need to mention here the eschatological expectation of the church, full of hope that Christ will be back soon. Maranatha, O Lord, come, or the Lord is coming, according to different translations of these Hebrew words, which concludes the first epistle to the Corinthians and also. The book, of, the book of the Apocalypse. This union with God until the coming of the Lord is giving a plenary meaning to human fate and destiny. Christ is central in history. He is also central at the end of the world because He, the risen, is bringing back to life everlasting all the people who remained faithful. Again, the resurrection is the reason of our faith. The baptized man is saved by faith and hope because he believes in Jesus, bringing him life everlasting through his passion, death and resurrection. We are dead with Christ and we reason with them through baptism, living a new life according to the Spirit, while life without Christ remains a life of sins and death. The man who daily dies with and by Christ is risen again daily through his union with Christ. We are expecting the end of the time, not doing anything, 
but being vigilant, trying not to sin, using this world as not being part of it, thinking of the heavenly, heavenly Jerusalem, but all time moved with hope, because we already heard on our show of Christ's victory. For I recount that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come, that shall be revealed in us. For the expectation of the creature waited for the, for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that made it subject in hope. Because the creature also itself shall be delivered from the servitude of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. For we know that every creature groaneth and travaileth in pain, even till now. And not only it, but us ourselves also, who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of the Son of God, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man seeth, why doth in hope for? But if we hope for what which we see not, we wait for it with patience. And this expectation and the patience with the hope of the Lord got a name which is called Christian life. The mystery of the redemption is central for the life of the church also for the man himself. Christ may, must be there at the center. We are not only due to believe something that was said to us, we must live this message of salvation. With Saint Paul, salvation is not only a word but a reality which completely transforms us. Christ is a model to imitate. He is our Lord, as we belong to Him because of our baptism. With Christ, man became a new creature. Love and imitation of Christ will make Christians not living by themselves, but Christ living in them. And I live, no, not now, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And that I live now in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself for me. This life with Christ is a life of faith, of charity and also hope. We have an intimate connection with the second Adam, the new Adam, the one who redeemed us. And it's because we are believing in him that we, we are going to live. But we, Christ is going to root that in his love. The life in the faith, in all its dimensions, since the free gift of God, until the, <clears throat> until the faith in actions, going through listening, obedience, confession, Everything is bringing us to perseverance, the final one. And this love of faith 
because of the grace gives us the possibility the, the opportunity to lead the right fight against the flesh against the sin and the world and this is possible daily we are speaking about the faith but we need also actions and this is an obligation a requirement because of our baptism faith as we said before is not some only something that we need to hear and believe we need to live from it and St. Paul offers us details about everything that Christ has done to show us the perfect example and to give us the evidence that Christ is the, the, the principle itself of our life in Him. Christ is our peace, is our wisdom, our justice, our sanctification and redemption. He is our unique foundation and our hope. Of course, the baptism is giving us the new life. But the baptism is not enough in itself, let's say. It's the first step which is inviting us to truly practice this thing. And we all know about this, this, this sort of parable that St. Paul did about the old men that need to be killed every day and risen again. And the baptism that killed the old man, removed the original sin, is providing the grace which is renewed every day to fight the right spiritual battle. Spiritual battle that will never end until, the, until our death. And St. Paul is quite, um, it explains it quite clearly when uh, we read about, if I'm correct, the epistle to Timothy, when he said he fought the right fight, he ran the right race, and now he is going to deserve to receive the crown of glory he deserved. This fight, this race, is the spiritual life, this spiritual battle, we are given to merit the crown of glory. We cannot forget that hope here, the hope of the victory, is always, always linked to the justification through the faith. And this justification through the faith made us called to the true freedom. And that's the second meaning of the same chapter 5 of the Galatians that we read about the sacrament of marriage. This chapter 5 remembers us about the bond God created with these chosen people, people that God <coughs> set free from Egypt. This freedom that God is giving us implies a relation. It implies also a redemption. A deliverance from slavery, 
That's all that we are commemorating at Easter. And this is made, made personal with us. And because of this bond of redemption God, that God has, has done with the sacrifice of the cross, this freedom is given to us, created, which is given to us, created a perfect bond that we mention about Christ and the church and that the, of the marriage which is the figure only of this perfect union. This allows St. Paul to, to affirm that the Christian is not only living under the law but under the grace. The law is in, is in, in, is not, does not give the opportunity to free us from death. When I mean the law, is the law of the Old Testament. Only the grace of Christ could do it. And that's why the sin is stealing us our freedom. Only the grace will make us free. Only the obedience following Christ's steps will bring us the freedom. And this grace, as we quite repeated often today, is linked to the act of faith. But this faith is a free gift of the Lord. And this is why we can affirm that where is the Spirit of the Lord? There is the liberty. There is the freedom. The presence of the Holy Ghost means the presence of freedom. And we are only truly free from the sin if we are moved by the Holy Ghost. And this is where the spiritual life is given to us. We spoke briefly about the being in the world, not but using it, but not being of the but not being part of it. Doesn't mean that this world is impure, nor sacred or demonic. But because because Saint Paul affirmed, following all the apostles, especially Saint John, that's the creation is perfect in itself. Creation is the first way to access and know about God. But unfortunately it's been corrupted. And this is the part we need to reject. With Christ and with the Creator Christ, we will not fear the world but we will defeat him by faith and we will use it not as a source of pleasure but by using it as needed because not to faith face against God but to recognize him as the Lord and Savior of the world creator and redeemer we were all created by him all our actions 
as Christians are to be gathered around the, <coughs> the, our holiness and the praise of the Lord. And this holiness, this praise of the Lord brings us to life everlasting, to the peace that St. Paul always wished us, which is within three different aspects. Because the peace is to be lived with God, firstly. It's also to be lived with the church. And of course, when we speak about the church, it means with all the members of the church. And that's the bond of charity we mentioned. And thirdly, and that's the real ecumenical part, we need to leave that peace also with non-Christian people. How are we going to bring them into the church if we don't show them the charity which is required from us? This same peace will bring us, will bring the fruits of the Holy Ghost. Mainly charity, the grace, the joy, unity, because peace is always uniting, edifying, and building up the link. The life, because the Holy Ghost is the author of the peace, and this peace is always um, as we said at the beginning about Jesus' quickening. And finally, this peace brings to us the kingdom of God. Seized by Christ Jesus, St. Paul remains our father in the faith. All along his life, he was attracted by Jesus. Being that attracted, St. Paul is given to us as the model of imitation of Christ. The Apostle of Nations, Saul of Tarsus, never stopped throughout the this, this centuries of the history of the Church to give us his message which will never be out of date. A French poet at the beginning of the 20th century used to say, when I want, he used to never read about the news and said, when I want to know about how the world is going, I open St. Paul's and I read it. That was 100 years ago, still valid today as it was for 2000 years. He was the persecutor of the church. He probably became, if I may say, the greater revolutionary man of the world. But the only revolution possible, the revolution of the cross, the revolution of the love of God, the revolution of men, giving the life for them, who loved all the prisoners, 
deliver them from the chains through his resurrection. This message that we've been we've been through and we will continue through by studying more of the epistles. Saint Paul also he extended it through his teaching in the epistles, understood it on the day of his conversion to Damascus. You remember, I think it was the first lesson, we spent quite a lot of time explaining, well, hearing the story of this conversion and also explaining how important this moment was to St. Paul. He received everything in that moment. Whether he is teaching us about the Christian life with Christ, thinking of the end of the world, that's the first epistle to Thessalonians or Corinthians. He also analyzes when he fights against the, those who didn't want to recognize Christ being, Christ being God and Redeemer in the epistle of the Galatians and Romans. He analyzed the salvation which is accomplished by Christ and our own justification by the faith. And then, his doctrine and theology being more mature, he goes again about the Lordship of Christ. And that's more the epistles of the captivity. Christ being the King of the creation, Lord of the history, and head of the church. And finally, he will deliver us his last words, his last will, his testament in the pastoral, the one we, the, the, the epistles we call the pastoral, where he will explain us he had he fought the right fight of the of the faith. And that's very briefly the introduction to, if I'm correct, the five next, five or six next lessons, and I will conclude with that. Thank you very much. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost.